0: MRA News, I'm Bob Levicki. Two groups are at odds over what to do with an unused rail line that runs through the Shenandoah Valley. The General Assembly advances bills to expand nuclear power and to create more affordable housing and make existing housing safer. And we have a preview of this month's Books and Brews, a discussion of the Reverend who served as the head chaplain on Virginia's death row for 18 years. This is the WMRA Daily for Monday, February 12th. Two groups in the Shenandoah Valley are at odds over what to do with an unused railway. The Virginia Mercury reports the General Assembly has pledged $35 million toward its conversion into a rail trail. The nearly 50-mile rail corridor, which was first established in the 1850s, Runs from Front Royal to the town of Broadway in Rockingham County and is currently owned by Norfolk Southern Corporation. The company began to discontinue sections of the corridor beginning in 1989. More recently, an 18-member group called the Shenandoah Valley Rail Trail Exploratory Partnership formed to promote the line's conversion into a linear park. Now, a group known as the Shenandoah Rail Corridor Coalition has emerged with an opposing plan. Restoring the railroad and constructing a trail alongside it. As the groups argue about the best use for the corridor, a second feasibility study is being pursued by the Virginia Secretary of Transportation. Madison County officials plan to honor the volunteers and emergency crews who helped contain the Quaker Run fire last year. The Madison County Eagle reports that Brian Gordon, deputy county administrator, said that more than 140 volunteers. And nearly 20 fire and emergency crews helped contain and extinguish the fire. Plans are underway to create plaques or honorary coins for those who helped assist with the fire. Along with a picnic scheduled for next month, the Quaker Run fire burned nearly 4,000 acres of land, 700 of which were in Shenandoah National Park. On to the General Assembly now. Virginia delegates have struck down two Republican-backed proposals that would limit abortion access in the Commonwealth. Cardinal News reports that a bill from Delegate Philip Scott of Fredericksburg would have prohibited terminating a pregnancy based on the sex or ethnicity of a fetus. A second bill from Delegate Tim Griffin of Amherst County would ban abortion procedures statewide. Both measures were defeated by a Democrat-led House panel. Members of the General Assembly are considering ways to create more affordable housing. The Virginia Public Radio's Michael Pope reports.
1: Senator Saddam Saleem is a Democrat from Fairfax County who has a bill that would legalize accessory dwelling units.
2: ADUs offer smaller, more affordable housing options that cater to the needs of young professional retirees and families starting out.
1: But the idea that landowners might be able to subdivide their property into additional units is going too far for Republican Senator Richard Stewart of King George County.
0: We already have traffic that is just out of control. And now you're going to literally double the size of the community without adding any new infrastructure, any new roads, any new water, any new sewer, anything like that.
1: Senator Jeremy McPike is a Democrat from Prince William County who does not buy that argument.
0: You still have to pull a building permit. And at building permit stage, if the capacity at sanitary sewer or water is not available, that building permit would not be
1: approved. Now that Salim's bill has passed the Senate, members of the House of Delegates are expected to consider the bill in
0: the next few weeks. A number of progressive housing bills are working their way through the legislature, including bipartisan support to end subpar mold remediation from landlords.
2: Also with Virginia Public Radio, Brad Cuttner reports. A Chesterfield resident who failed to identify herself walked up to the podium of a House Committee on General Laws to talk about her long battle with her landlord over mold in her senior living apartment. She said when she first noticed the mold, it led to a fight with the rental office and the cops were called. It was then she discovered how few rights tenants have when it comes to mold in a rental unit. By that point, it was too late.
3: This also is what
0: I end up with. Because I lived in mold for three years.
2: She held up a bag of medications.
0: Yesterday, I got the two injections that I have to get every two weeks now for the last three years. It is undignified and it's un-American and private property owners need to be held to the fire.
2: A solution to her problem may exist in a bill from Richmond area Democratic Delegate Dolores McQuinn. Here's McQuinn at the same hearing describing her bill, which would require certifications for mold remediators and give tenants the right to file suit if the proper remediators aren't hired to do the job. The
3: tenants seem to be bearing the burden uh, alone of holding landlords accountable for the presence of mold and its insufficient remediation.
2: The bipartisanship that got it on the House floor earlier in the week continued Friday when it passed the House as part of the uncontested docket. Its next stop is in the Senate and perhaps Governor Glenn Youngkin's desk.
0: Lawmakers are also considering a bill that would expand nuclear power in Virginia. Michael has the details.
1: Nuclear power might be coming to a small modular reactor near you if Senator Dave Marsden gets his way. The Democrat from Fairfax County has a bill that would allow for early site permitting. Here's Larry Jackson at Appalachian Power. With Appalachian Power, we're particularly concerned about the rate impact any of our
0: projects have on our customers. The way this is designed is it will spread the
1: cost of this early site permitting over five years. Opponents say small modular reactors are not ready for prime time.
0: This bill is not about whether or not you like nuclear energy. It's about the substantial financial risks
1: and who bears them. That's Peter Anderson at Appalachian Voices. He points to a similar bill that the South Carolina General Assembly approved almost 20 years ago.
0: The state poured $9 billion into the VC summer nuclear reactor, which was abandoned 10 years later. Customers ultimately were on the hook for $2.3 billion for nothing. Not a single electron was ever produced. What they got was
1: a hole in the ground. Marsden's bill passed a Senate committee with the support of six Republicans and two Democrats. Reporting from the Capitol in Richmond,
0: i Michael Pope. Adults may possess and use marijuana in Virginia, but there is no legal way to purchase cannabis. The lawmakers are making progress setting up regulations for a marketplace and brad has this
2: update northern virginia delegate paul Kriesick brought the bill to the house floor for its second reading friday It would create a framework for a legal marketplace, with marijuana retail and small business licenses being issued starting in 2025. It requires testing and regulation by the Virginia Cannabis Authority, all while being taxed at 9%, one of the lowest tax rates in the nation. Krizak said that would help compete with the illegal market. We only get one shot at rolling out a retail market in an orderly fashion, and we have to get it right. While Republicans have gotten softer on legal weed, they still voice concerns Friday. Eastern Shore Delegate Robert Bloxham was worried that the plan would require localities to opt out of sales, not opt in. And in rural parts of the state, where towns and counties blend over large areas, it could make a complicated patchwork of laws. And
4: what I, I, I don't need to have two towns on the Eastern Shore become distributors of marijuana to the rest of the county that doesn't want it.
2: The Democratic majority all but guarantees passage of the effort in the House, same as in the Senate. Republican Governor Glenn Youngkin said after his State of the Commonwealth speech earlier this year that he has no interest in supporting a legal market, but those close to the issue told Radio IQ good conversations were happening between legislators, lobbyists, and the executive branch. In Richmond, I'm Brad Kuttner. The Reverend Russ Ford, who served as
0: the head chaplain on Virginia's death row for 18 years, raged against the death penalty while ministering to the men condemned to die in the 1980s and 90s. He's written a new book called Crossing the River Sticks with Virginia author Todd C. Peppers about his time working with men on death row. Todd Peppers will join us tomorrow night for our February Books and Brews. WMRE's Chris Boros asked Todd to tell us about the Reverend Ford.
4: Russ Ford is an amazing individual. From the late 1970s to probably the mid-1990s, he was one of the only friends that the men of Virginia's death row had. And during that time, he walked into the death chamber with 28 men and was often the last sort of loving face they saw before they were executed. He is an unsung hero, and in my opinion, he's someone whose story sort of deserves to be told and his work and his sacrifice is acknowledged and celebrated.
3: And he spent years working with some of these men on Virginia's death row. Is that rare for a chaplain to spend years with these people? Yes.
4: You know, in some states, the chaplains really don't meet the men until the final weeks of their life. Virginia is, I think, the only state in the country that, because of our state constitution, the state cannot hire chaplains. It's folks from the outside, volunteers, or people uh, whose salaries are paid by outside organizations. In some ways, I think that facilitated Russ's relationship with the men, or created trust, because Russ was not a state employee. And so Russ had relationships with these men for, and sometimes, years on end, and that created some very close bonds. That's one thing that's unusual about his story is how well he knew the men. And that comes with a cost, right? Mm -hmm. You only know a guy for a couple hours and you watch him be killed. That's one thing. You've known someone for six years and have gotten to know them and cried with them and worked with them and then watched them put down. uh, That takes a substantial toll.
3: When did you first meet Russ Ford? And what was your initial impression of him? What's he like as a person?
4: Russ is, Russ is a cool dude. <laughs> um, you could sit on a bank with Russ and a Fish and talk about Buddha, Eastern philosophy, politics, music, religion. Russ is just one of the more interesting people I've ever met. As we worked on the book, be, we'd develop a shorthand where sometimes Russ would say that we are blowing on the embers too hard. Now, Russ still has PTSD, anyone who does this type of work. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's one thing that a lot of the public don't understand. The death penalty scars anyone who touches it. And so sometimes in this process, Russ would say we're blowing on the embers too much, and we'd back off for a while because a lot of what's in this book involved terrible memories. Russ sort of wanted to approach the book as a guide, to take the reader through a world which is closed off to most of us.
3: I'm assuming that Russ has many reasons for his strong stance against the death penalty, but is there one reason he talks about more than anything else?
4: Just the what he thinks is the immorality of it. Mm-hmm. It sounds like a simple bumper sticker. Why do we kill the show killing is wrong? But I think if you drill down, that's pretty deep. And I think you could make an argument that maybe, some people will reject this, Killing someone in cold blood is actually, in terms of uh, an immoral act, worse than killing someone in the heat of the moment. If some of these men, their terrible crimes occurred under the influence of drugs, alcohol, mental illness. But with the death penalty, we methodically do it. We carefully plan it out, and we do it in a a sort of a a sober way. I think Russ would tell you that uh, he thinks that's wrong.
3: Todd C. Peppers is our guest for Books and Brews tomorrow night in Waynesboro at Seven Arrows Brewing. Details at WMRA.org. Todd, thank you so much for talking to me today. I really appreciate it.
0: It was my pleasure. To hear a longer version of this interview, visit WMRA.org. Finally today, attorneys for the family of West Virginia Governor Jim Justice are trying to block a Virginia bank from auctioning off land at the governor's famous resort, the Associated Press reports an injunction was filed last week to block the sale of land at Greenbrier Sporting Club. That's after Carter Bank & Trust in Martinsville had issued a legal notice announcing the auction. It is trying to recover more than $300 million on defaulted business loans. For WMRA News, I'm Bob Levicky. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy your Monday.